Welcome to White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk once more beside me on White Shores to talk about the real meaning of life and the true power of what is unseen. Let's discuss dreams, intuition, manifesting, as above, so below, angels, afterlife, the science of consciousness, and other infinite possibilities within and all around you. I hope every episode informs, inspires, and illuminates. So, now the scene is set, allow the grey rain curtain of this world to roll back and all to turn to silver glass. Let's walk barefoot together on the gentle, glistening sands of white shores to see what mystery lies beyond the material. Thank you for arriving safely on White Shores, a far green country under a swift sunrise. I have a truly wonderful guest for you today. He's actually been on white, walking on White Shores before and his episode, Blue Angel Believer, please do check it out if you haven't listened to it already. That was a stunning episode and very popular and heavily downloaded. And I know it's going to be the same again for this episode today, particularly as it deals with a topic that is becoming so relevant to many of our lives and many of you listening may well have been touched by issues surrounding dementia and Alzheimer's and if you have you must listen to this interview because I know it's going to have some some treasure trove of of advice. I have none other than Stephen G. Post PhD with me today. He's founding director of the Centre for Medical Humanities Compassionate Care and bioethics at Stony Brook University Renaissance School of Medicine, where he also serves as Professor of Family, Population and Preventative Medicine. He is an elected member of the Medical and Scientific Advisory Board of Alzheimer's Disease International and one of only three recipients of the Alzheimer's Association Distinguished Service Award. Now, his first book, The Moral Challenge of Alzheimer's Disease, published by John Hopkins University Press in 2000, was hailed as a medical classic of the century by the British Medical Journal. He has been quoted many times in numerous national and international publications. He's a compelling public speaker um, and basically is an all-round phenomenon, (laughs) a whirlwind. I'm absolutely delighted he's back here today to talk about his very latest book called Dignity for Deeply Forgetful People. And that's a welcome resource for the millions, potentially more than millions of, of families affected by Alzheimer's disease, because numbers are growing steadily as, of course, the population ages. So, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Enough talking from me now. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Teresa. How are you? <laughs> you didn't fall asleep there no. whilst I was doing a long intro. What's it like <laughs> hearing all that about yourself? What's it like hearing all that about yourself before we go into you know well, this well, topic? I just laugh a little bit, but I guess the short version is that uh, he's uh, he's his wife's. Uh, Husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how wonderful! But do you, when you hear it, do you think oh, is that is that actually me? Well, have I done? All that? Well, you know, it's 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 an accumulation of of 
of activities over the course of a lifetime, but I'm still feeling uh, uh, young and, you know, I've, I've aged a bit, but I'm, I remain immature and that balances things out, you know? <laughs> so. Oh, I think that, that I, I, I mean, I think you should grow old disgracefully. That's what I, what, yeah. what I always say, but let's jump right in because time is precious and talk about dignity for deeply forgetful people, which um, I think I said to you before, when we were chatting before I record, it's, it's something that's really hitting home for me right now for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Could you please just give us some insight into the book, um, um, how, how you wrote it, what's in it, and what people can expect? Well, you know, there's a lot in the title. <laughs> and maybe the title says it all. Uh, I don't necessarily embrace the, the word dementia because uh, it's, a, it's a word that, that really captures decline from a former mental state. And sometimes it uh, can be used very inappropriately, derisively, uh, as, a, as a word of humiliation in the public culture. So I, uh, I like to think about these individuals as being deeply forgetful. Now, you know, they're, they can be very deeply forgetful, but it suggests more of a continuum, more of a, of a continuing presence, a self-identity uh, that is never quite gone. They're never a shell, a husk, uh, empty. Um, they're, they're underneath the silence and whatever kinds of behaviors. Um, there, there, there is a self-identity. And uh, so deep forgetfulness, you know, um, it makes the experience of dementia not so completely them versus us. You know, <laughs> I mean, if I if I go out behind this medical school into the parking lot um, and I have to ask a student where my car is parked, you know, that's that's a fairly typical thing. Now, if I come into my office and I ask my uh, associates, uh, do you know if I drove a car to work? That's a little more serious. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, um, but forgetfulness is is is. A, you know, a common thread in human existence. And, and you know, we're all much more dependent and interdependent than we sometimes own up to. You know, we come into this world, we, you know, infants don't have memories. Maybe they have some emotional memory, but uh, we're, 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 in de- we're dependent on one another. We're vulnerable. We're all very vulnerable when we become ill. Uh, and we sometimes pretend that, well, we're, independent and we're invulnerable, but in fact, that's not the case. And so um, I, I, I really believe that, that we, we need to make our peace um, with the, the reality of deeply forgetful uh, people. And I don't see a magic bullet uh, coming along. I know a lot of folks put all their hope in, in um, science, and that's a good thing to have hope in. But uh, to date, uh, you know, there's no great uh, uh, medication that's come along. And, and uh, you know, we're sort of having to figure out how to interact meaningfully and communicate better with people uh, who have these conditions. Yeah, I mean, it is um, for people who have, you know, loved ones with deep, deep forgetfulness. I like that, actually. You're right. Dementia, it, it, the whole word sounds ugly, doesn't it? It's it's drain it's got a connotations 
I, I like the way you're saying, let's say, deeply forgetful. Yeah. Um, can we just I, we did pick deeper into your book in a minute, but from a spiritual perspective, you know, there is this school of thought that illnesses have a, you know, a emotional and spiritual component. In your practice and in your research, have you found that there is a personality type more prone to dementia, perhaps resistance to change? I, I'm very hesitant to say much about that because it, it would be uh, really uh, not very well scientifically grounded. No. I will say this, that, that um, uh, if you go back 15 years ago, most neuroscientists and neurologists in the UK and in the US and Australia uh, and elsewhere um, didn't think that stress could be related to the onset of Alzheimer's disease. Uh, but I think now most people I talk with do think that stress is relevant because when you have protracted stress over a long period of time, years, uh, and elevated stress hormones, it does certain things to your body, one of which is it, it, it does tend to contribute to vascular disease. Uh, it also slows wound healing a bit, but it seems now to be conclusive that it causes uh, hippocampal atrophy. The hippocampus is a part of the brain that is involved in the laying down of new memories. And so you can, you can see a, a literal shrinkage in that part of the brain uh, over time. And, and it does seem to be the case that, that then stress will contribute to that. It's not the only factor. There are family histories and genetic factors and a thousand other things going on. Uh, um, you know, some public health experts even think that lead is perhaps related to uh, Alzheimer's disease. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, I think stress is, is a factor. And you know, we W.H. Auden, who used to hang out at Oxford, you know, for, for all you Brits, you know, he, um, he, uh, he, he wrote that great uh, book, uh, The Age of Anxiety. Uh, and uh, there is something about the times we live in uh, where, where we are more on edge. And, and that, that could potentially be a factor. I don't know. Mm, thank you for that. I know it's it's deeply it's not not scientific, but it's just interesting because there is a school of thought uh, about the, the spiritual lessons that dementia maybe is teaching the person and their carers and their setup. But that that's another conversation. But what I found so refreshing about dignity for deeply forgetful people is that you actually shift the focus from identifying a cause or a cure to actually what we're all dealing with the person as they are right now who who they've become you know and and yet trying to see and connect with them despite their deep forgetfulness um and that's what i found so so helpful about your book because it's easy to forget isn't it that they're still there somewhere it it, it sure is you know it's 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 easy to think of them as gone a husk a shell and the like. Yeah. But that's why the, there's so much in the book um, about the problem of hypercognitive 
values. It's a word I coined when I was at Case Western Medical School in the 90s. Um, you know, we, uh, we think about linear rationality as defining human value, human worth, human dignity. Actually, it, it, it is not that central. Um, it, it, in the Western tradition, you know, John Locke, who lies buried at Christ College, Oxford, uh, or uh, Kant would tell you that your moral status, your significance in the universe depends on your ability to um, propose plans and operationalize them over time. But there's a whole other kind of rationality that I call in the book symbolic rationality, meaning that um, well into this illness, even to the very end, people can still connect with symbols. Um, I knew um, a gentleman in Cleveland named Cliff, and I talk about him a little bit in the book. He, he, he worked in the steel mills, and he dressed country and western. He uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and he progressed. Uh, he got a lot of good care. Um, but right to the end, he clung to his cowboy hat. And, 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 and it's as though he knew somehow that who he was was connected with that particular article of clothing. And I could go on and on and, 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 and talk about these things. A great American artist, Willem de Kooning, uh, was an abstract expressionist, and he, he, he had Alzheimer's for 14 years. At least he was diagnosed <clears throat> over a period of 14 years. And uh, during that time, he lived in a loft in Greenwich Village in, in Manhattan. And um, he still would rise up sporadically. He would dip his paint, uh, his brush in the acrylic paint. And he would go up to the easel and he would, he would paint. And there was a posthumous exhibit of his work. <clears throat> it was different. It wasn't as intense and, and complex, but it was still beautiful. And, and there was, uh, you know, some of the critics said, well, he was only a, a shell of his former self. But one, one I liked said, wait a minute, this is a fellow who um, had Alzheimer's disease. And for 13 and a half out of 14 years, he still knew he was a painter. He still knew that's who he was. So, I, I, you know, you see this time and time and time again. Even, you know, the great composer Aaron Copeland, who I met when I was a young kid, uh, uh, you know, he did Appalachian Spring and he, he had Alzheimer's disease and he was up in Peekskill, New York, up along the Hudson. And people would come from all over the country and all over the world to visit him and and they'd speak with them and 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 hope for an answer. It wouldn't always come, but usually at the end it didn't come. But he would still rise up again sporadically, and he'd go to the piano, and he would play the six notes that comprise the two chords that structure Appalachian Spring, and he did that right to the end. And so you wonder, you know, what was he trying to say? Was he saying? I'm still here. Was he saying, this is what I want to be remembered for? So the whole point of the book is, is not to make light of these expressions of continuing self-identity and to notice them. You have to be, uh, well, you know, I'm using a term from Larry Dossie, whom I, I admire a great deal. 
uh, you have to be a noticer. You have to be willing to notice these things uh, and not uh, not try to bring people into our uh, rational, hypercognitive culture, but recognize um, that they're still valued human beings, equally valuable. And uh, that's what His Holiness the Dalai Lama thinks. That's why he endorsed the book. You know, for him, it's it's not linear rationality. You know, he's he's Buddhist. You know, it's it's um, it's consciousness. It, they have consciousness. They, they they can love the fall colors. They can love the smell of an apple pie. They can do. Uh, they can chime in with a deeply learned poem. Uh, you know, uh, they can chime in with a with a meaningful piece of music, uh, a little song that they identified with. Maybe it's uh, you know the Beatles uh, yesterday. Who knows? But um, there are a lot of things we can do. They still have creative capacities. The, the fellow in the book I describe who is coming to this art program every morning, and <clears throat> people are asking him, "So what? What is this? It was just kind of a crazy." scribble uh, with a pencil on paper. And uh, at one point he said, uh, someone asks him, uh, what's this line you keep drawing? And he says, surprisingly, it's a map for my daughter to get to my house. So there was more purpose and intentionality underneath that scribbly stuff than you might think. And and, and that's, I give people the benefit of the doubt. I, you'll never, in that chapter seven, where a granddaughter asks, is grandma still there? I talk about memory and philosophy and neuroscience and spiritual thought and, 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 and how it is that we can never say that um, mind is completely derivative from, from matter, from brain. I mean, this is a disease that affects brain cells and regions of the brain, but the great Australian Nobel Prize laureate, Sir John Eccles, who got the prize for, for discovering er- most of all that we know about the synapses in the brain. I knew him at the University of Chicago as a graduate student, and I loved Sir John Eccles. And he, he was unbelievably committed to the idea that uh, uh, there's something mysterious about the mind and you can't reduce it to matter. Mm. I mean, the chapter you reference, it's Grandma Still, isn't it? I, I think that's... Yes, Grandma's it's, Still there. Yeah. 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 I just love that, Grandma Still. It's just um, just those two words, very powerful, very, very beautiful chapter. But the whole book is is is, um, is a true revelation. Um, and I, I do love the joy that you speak about these moments. And I've witnessed them myself when it's like there's a light going on. Yeah, and it is learning to cherish them because I, the whole experience is is a reset. I guess not just for them, but for everyone in their lives to to cherish that. But yeah. let's talk about the people in in their lives now, the carers, because you also mm-hmm. t- discuss that a lot in the book. Some mm-hmm. strategies to to cope. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but you know, you're, you're so correct in, in just reflecting on your own experience, uh, Teresa. It's very true that. Um, you know, when you're a caregiver, it's elevating and uplifting when you mm. see these unexpected expressions of self-identity. Um, yes. You know, with my, my grandmother had 
you know, again, probable Alzheimer's, although in those days they called it senile dementia. And I would do assisted oral feeding with her in a nursing home from time to time. And, and surprisingly, um, on a few occasions, she would call my name, which, again, you know, I was very delighted to know that she could still do that. I, I had no idea. And also, you, you know, I could see uh, emotionality in her, in her eyes and in her facial expression. So um, it helps caregivers to notice and to connect and to feel that, yeah, grandma's still there and not to give in to all of this incredible negative mm. hyperbole. Um, it's, 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 it's really the case that we need to learn to communicate better. So what can you do? Well, there is actually some discussion of communication techniques with deeply forgetful people. And there have been whole books about this, uh, uh, Danny Rippage and others, but uh, basically, you know, if you, you, you know, don't say, what would you like for breakfast? Because that creates anxiety. Someone has to, you know, dig back and come up with language that maybe they, they can't quite do. So it makes them anxious. Uh, but if you say, would you like an omelet or cereal? Then you're cueing them with your language. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a huge difference. You know, you, you don't ask somebody uh, with dementia, how's your kids? Because they'll, they may draw a blank. But if you know the names of their children, which is nice if there's been a little bio sketch written out on the wall of the bedroom, you know, how's Zach? How's Luke? Then they'll get excited and they'll come into conversation, perhaps at least to some degree. And you can just pick it up. They come alive inside. You know, music is important for caregivers. There's nothing stronger than the power of music in the lives of deeply forgetful people. Um, there's a wonderful website uh, called musicandmemory.org. Uh, and this is where it's swept uh, the U.S., it's swept Canada and Australia and even and the U.K. too. Uh, or you just, you know, you have an, iP an iPod uh, and uh, you, you play uh, a piece of music that somebody really identified with when they were younger that was meaningful to them. Maybe, you know, maybe it was uh, Jimmy Dorsey, maybe it was uh, the Beatles. But uh, uh, when you play that, um, then individuals will typically become uh, rhythmic. They'll start moving their legs and their feet. They will uh, get animated. They'll come back into themselves. And about 70% of people, even folks who are very deeply forgetful, will actually chime in a little bit. Uh, they may hum. They may um, sing a, a word or a line or even stand up proudly and sing a whole verse. <coughs> So, so music and memory is important. And Alzheimer's poets, we have a program in, in Brooklyn, uh, uh, in New York, and uh, um, you, you can have 20 or 30 people sitting around a big open space, you know, a big room with um, comfortable chairs, and they're not uttering a word to one another. I mean, you'd think pretty much, hey, they're gone, you know. And then you get these Alzheimer's poets who are quite skilled. 
and they'll they'll come in and they'll 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 with animation and and depth and and uh, uh, strength of 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 uh, of note they will um, they will do something like the road less traveled uh, you know a poem that most people here would identify with uh, uh, and 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 then the vast majority of individuals will chime in and 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 they will start. Um, 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 repeating a line or two or maybe three again, or maybe even in some instances, uh, a whole stanza. And, and, and this is very powerful. And what's really impressive is that after the poem is read, uh, I've witnessed this a lot and I've, I've actually been on the board of this or of this organization. Um, uh, people will be able to respond, not for a long time, you know, maybe just a minute or two, but if you if you prime them with the right kind of language, um, you know, do you remember Dave, um, or do you remember your 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 dog Jojon? Um, they 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 will say, of course, you know, and then of course they fade, they fade, but but over the course of the day, because of that experience of getting centered uh, again in themselves and who they are. They have an easier time with the sort of buzzing confusion of the world coming at them because they lack insight into into so many things. But they're calmer and they, they don't have quite the same level of agitation or aggression. They 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 they, they don't have to rely on um, behavioral medications so much. That's been demonstrated. Um, and 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 so there's a lot to be done when it comes to connecting with these people and we should be spending our resources on figuring that out and making it available to care, you know, in in New York, but across the, across Canada and the U S and I believe in England too, they have the unforgettables choir, you know, and, and these are caregivers and people who are deeply forgetful who may not be communicating much at all. But I'll tell you, when you put them in a choir, and, mm. uh, and and you have them sing something that they identify with, it's it works miracles. Uh, it, it's a beautiful thing, and that everybody's inspired by it. And they they will you have to be open to surprises. Like in the book, I I define hope. Okay, you know, as being open to surprises, and 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 it's so it, it it's so important uh, to have that. We have the um, the intergenerational schools, which. Uh, Really began in Cleveland with Kathy Whitehouse, uh, who was a friend of mine, still is, and Peter, her husband, uh, neurologist. But uh, we we have those quite uh, quite frequently uh, in different regions of, of of the country. And so you've got you know people coming in from assisted living who were deeply forgetful, uh, and uh, uh, and then you've got kids, usually first or second or graders, not kindergartners, because they're a little too young. But the old folks will come in and they will uh, pick up that children's book and they're so inspired to be around those kids. You know, they'll start reading and no one thought they could read anymore. You know, Mm. but they're they're so into it. They come into themselves because they're stimulated by that. So I I just think that that you, you, you can't count them out. And and we have a, we have a phrase, um, you know, across the, the, the you know the the ocean, you know now, um, 
paradoxical lucidity to try to describe what goes on um, in these episodes. And our NIH, National Institute of Health, actually put out a request for proposals a couple of years ago uh, for studies on paradoxical lucidity. Could we actually study what's going on in the, in the brains of people who are having these moments of insight um, and, and maybe could help us understand more about Alzheimer's and more about dementia? And so there's some really great research get, being done in that area and it's being published in major journals. So this, to me, I mean, it, it, it's it's where we need to go, and and it's a Alzheimer's is a very very complicated disease. I don't know. Maybe there there will never be a magic bullet for it. Uh, Doctor Alzheimer himself didn't think he discovered a disease. He thought he discovered a for a premature aspect of natural aging. So um, so where do we go with this? Well, we have to learn to live creatively and with love. Uh, for the deeply forgetful, and uh, and Absolutely. It can be done, and, and 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 in the end, you know, I mean, whatever your tradition might be, you know, there's there's a little um, there's a little phrase that I like uh, uh, from Saint Paul. I went to a school called Saint Paul's when I was in high school. Uh, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, cut out the word God if you want. Talk about energy or supreme being or however you want to put it, but. Um, even deep forgetfulness cannot separate us from the power of love is what I want to say. Oh, that's uh, absolutely, I, I could not agree more. And thank you so much for giving us a ray of hope. And I love what you say, being open to surprises and having that expectation that you will be surprised and not going in with this sense of, you know, doom and and this this mindset of when you get the diagnosis that this is going to be, all terrible that there will be ray of light there will be rays of light and to cherish those when they happen thank you and i, I love the fact you talk about music as well that was that musicandmemory.org yeah musicandmemory.org yeah. everybody's listening just go to it it's it's really cool uh, i mean i mean this this podcast adores music i i have lots of musicians talking on here actually and you know and, and for me music is the language that heaven speaks or the divine or whatever you you want to call it mm-hmm. i also noticed that you talk about the value of a trained dementia support dog i yeah. didn't know that they existed actually i know of course guide dogs are blind i, I well, didn't realize well you know uh, alzheimer's scotland uh came up with this idea about 20 years ago i was actually uh uh, in Scotland and, and doing some projects with with them and and they really hit on the idea of how we should have Alzheimer's dogs and now there are lots of trained they're usually you know m- moderately sized uh, 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 golden re- uh, uh, golden retrievers not well or or labrador they're ma- mainly labradors and because they're just very easy to, to to get along with and they're 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 easy to tame and they have a nice disposition but um you know you might have a dog a, a person may already have a dog that they love and adore and, and that is not you know a huge uh, uh, a huge creature that could pull them all over the sidewalk but um but uh, you know a well-trained Moderately sized dog can be very beneficial. And I talk in the book about uh, being in Australia, uh, in Sydney, 
uh, this is now about seven or eight years ago. And we had a big conference uh, with uh, Alzheimer's uh, Australia. And uh, a little later in the afternoon, about 50 people who were all deeply forgetful to varying degrees, but ambulatory, you know, went out down the main drag of Sydney, you know, uh, past the Sydney Hospital and toward the, uh, 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 the Opera Hall, uh, just walking with their dogs. And, 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 and the dogs all were wearing vests that you know, were, were purple colored and so forth. And people on the streets were kind of shocked. They said, wait, what's this? You know, a guy came up in his cab and he said to me, blimey, you know, uh, dogs are for blind people. But actually, <laughs> that was so hilarious. But, but you know, they're, they're, they're great companions for people with mm. dementia. And, you know, dogs, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, your great uh, philosopher, theologian, he actually suggested that dogs would be in heaven because he couldn't imagine a loving God who would keep <laughs> dogs out of heaven, you know. Oh, if they're not in heaven, I don't want to go. That's what I've often said. And, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I, it's, 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 it's true. not to smile, isn't it, when the dog's around and, and oh. you know, to bring a smile to someone who's suffering. Oh, they, you <laughs> know, the, 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 the dogs are extremely effective. I mean, do I think that, a, that an Alzheimer's dog is as or more effective than any um, – anti-dementia medication we have, well, at least as, as, as effective is, is what I would say, because, you know, we're talking about things that kind of bring people back into themselves. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a scientist at, at, at heart, and I, and I hope that we do find some sort of magic bullet. But on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, uh, if 10 is a really good drug for, say, uh, you know, let's just say it's insulin as a response to diabetes, uh, what we have, uh, even at best, is sort of a one, uh, you know, maybe a two. So we've got a long way to go. And some of these social relational interventions, the music, the dogs, you know, they've got to be up there at a six or a seven or an eight because they take people who seem to have been lost and out of themselves and they bring them into themselves and they, mm. you know, they bring them back to themselves. And, and it's inspiring for caregivers to see that. So, so I, I think that's that's where we need to put some focus. Yeah, and of course, cats as well. If they're cat lovers listening, I mean, all kind of loving pet. Um, I, I think that should be a prescription for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, cats are okay. Cats are okay for this too. <laughs> or rabbits, or horses, whatever. <laughs> but anyway, um, or hamsters. No. Uh, anyway, um, but the theme of love again, and I keep hearing Corinthians in my mind: love is patient, love is kind. Coming through to me as as you're talking, um, do you? Uh, it's a big question. It'd be, be the last one, but do you think that I don't want to put pressure on caregivers? But do you think that the tender, loving care can make a difference to the progression of the disease? Oh, I do. I, I'm absolutely certain of it. You know, we live in an era uh, that is defining itself in terms of neuroplasticity. That somehow. Our emotions, how we interact, a lot of that finds its way into our neurology. And that's why love heals. 
and it does. There's also epigenetics. Okay, that's where all these emotional and interactional dynamics feed right back into uh, everybody's genome and determine what gets expressed and what doesn't get expressed. But given that we know now that, that it's, it, it's not just a, you know, genes outward, but it's a back and forth between the environment, between relationships, between positive emotions and so forth. You know, you, 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 you want to recognize that how you interact with somebody will have some impact. I can't define it quantitatively, but will have at least some impact on what's going on with them. And, and so you want to think about it in, in those terms. Again, you know, love heals. And by the way, a lot of people aren't, you know, they, they're diagnosed, they, we say Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's only causes about half of dementia. Uh, I mean, you know, dementia is a syndrome, a cluster of symptoms. It, you know, 100 years ago, it was caused by neurosyphilis for the most part because there were no antibiotics and people weren't living as long. Uh, but there's, you know, dementia secondary to Parkinson's, secondary to Alzheimer's, secondary to concussions, chronic and, uh, traumatic encephalitis, and all these kinds of things. And a lot of times it's vascular and there are little stroke events in the white matter of the brain that don't really knock you for a loop, but they're happening and they affect memory to some degree. So <clears throat> you can do healthy aging. You should, you should eat well. You should try to stay away from a lot of carbos and a lot of sugars Try to get the brain uh, on 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 less of a carbo uh, 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 dynamic. Uh, have a lot of leafy vegetables. Uh, berries are really good. Blueberries, blackberries, those kinds of things are great. Um, and 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 also walking. There are a lot of interesting studies now about just how walking for half an hour a day is really good for your uh, circulation, and, and and I mean neurological circulation. So uh, there, there are things we can, we can do, uh, you know, uh, that are somewhat preventive potentially. And that would include, I believe, mindfulness and meditation. There's a big organization on Alzheimer's prevention. I was doing a program with them a couple of weeks ago, and they published some extraordinarily good papers in Alzheimer's and dementia, which is a leading journal, just pointing out that uh, mindfulness and meditation can make a difference in people's lives, even when they're quite, uh, uh, you know, I mean, they get to a point where they can't understand what that is, but certainly when they're mildly uh, affected and earlier on, um, you want to, you want to recognize the value of these things. And they're very valuable for caregivers. There's a spirituality to taking care of people who are deeply forgetful. Mm, Yeah. It's a, it's a big big reset and it can be an opportunity for spiritual awakening for this the caregiver as well yes. learning to live in the moment and and as your book right rightfully points out finding those points of light um i can't thank you enough for writing it it's it's <laughs> forgive the pun it's memorable <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's just um if you are going if you are a caregiver um you you, you won't regret reading this book I, I i reassure you of that and before um if you could just tell us how we can get hold of a copy and how to find out about you Stephen. well you know um so it's dignity for deeply forgetful people uh how caregivers can meet the challenges of alzheimer's disease um 
it's not like anything you've ever read before because it's 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 it's, you know, after 30 years of working with, with this community, it's, it's the best I could, I could come up with. And uh, I'm not going to try to write another book uh, because just the title, you know, Deeply Forgetful People as an alternative to the demented, you know, it's, gosh, mm. politicians use it to. That sounds like a horror movie, doesn't it? Yeah, the demented. It does. It does. They, you know, they use it to put down their political adversaries. I mean, it's, it gets acrimonious, yeah. you know, it. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's used to, it, as a, you know, even our own beloved president here, once upon a time, <laughs> previous president used it in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so we have to get away from that. And the term itself is just, uh, you know, so difficult. Um, mm-hmm. But go to, you know, go, I have a website, Stephen with a PH, Stephen G com. StephenGPost.com. Yeah, yeah. Stephen with a PH. And then right on the homepage is a cover of the book, and you can click on it. It'll get you to Amazon. But basically, you go to Amazon because I guess that's how things get done, uh, you know, now, nowadays. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I really appreciate uh, people picking up a copy because I, I have some other things I want to write. This was published by Johns Hopkins University Press, which is never – I mean, that's like – the creme de la creme medical scientific press in America, you know, for, 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 I mean, there's nothing quite like Johns Hopkins, but so I was surprised. That I wasn't. I mean, it's you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised because this is so, it, it, it's, it's such a, a spiritual piece of work. Um, but somehow or another, um, they found room for it and I'm, I'm grateful to them. That is a sign of real progress, isn't it? And I think more and more of that's going to happen. And you, you are leading the way, Stephen, and I'm so very, very grateful. I'm just going to close this interview by asking you for a quote from a movie or a song or even from your own book that you'd like to leave listeners with. I was trawling through Lord of the Rings because in this season I'm closing with a quote from Tolkien. And, of course, I was looking for memory <laughs> with you. And Lord of the Rings fans will probably know what I'm going to say. So for you, I'm going to say, and some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. That's kind of how Lord of the Rings starts. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, I was actually (laughs) sitting on Tolkien's bench at University Park in Oxford on May 6th on my birthday. Oh, wow. Well, that's a book of wisdom. I mean, I'm actually finding more and more, because I kind of started White Shores in a lighthearted way, because I do love Lord of the Rings, but now I've just, there's line after line, which is life wisdom. He was a very wise person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was. So, I mean, you know, I would just say that um, uh, my favorite quote, uh, it's from Eleanor Roosevelt. the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Oh, I love that quote. I've put it on my socials many times. Yeah. I love that yeah. quote. Yeah, it's just so simple and but clear. Yeah. And we can, um, have, we can have a we can have a dream about a world where we don't run away from vulnerability and dependence and interdependence as though that's not the ultimate reality of the human condition. And we can really take it into account. And when we can't eradicate it with some magic bullet, we are able to connect with it and 
become more truly human. Oh, and on that sublime note, Stephen J. Post, it's G, isn't it? Yeah, G, Gerard, Gerard. <laughs> Gerard, okay, I find out the mystery here is not, it's not, a, not a big secret. Stephen Gerard Post, uh, you are um, a gift, a precious gift, and um, thank you so much for the gift of your precious time. Well, thank you, Teresa. You are equally a gift, and I've greatly enjoyed this interaction. I thank you. Thank you from my heart and soul for being here and walking beside me in spirit on white shores. Sensitive, kind, compassionate souls like you who see beyond the material are needed more than ever today to help this earth heal and evolve. If you have any questions, stories or insights to share, I absolutely love hearing from you and aim to reply to everyone in due course. My website is www.teresachung.com. My contact email is angeltalk710 at aol.com. And you can message me via my Instagram handle, the Teresa Chung, as well as my Facebook and Twitter author pages. Until we meet again on these white shores, keep being amazing spiritual you, sending my eternal love and gratitude.